Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Listen, what, what is the summary of the law? All the law of the Bible, what's the summary of the law? What does the Bible say? Two things, love God and, pretty slow, love God and love your neighbor, right? There it is. That's the summary of the whole law, love God and love your neighbor. So what is the principal way in which we love God and love our neighbor? It's to use our God-given gifts and to labor for the good of, for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor in our vocations, right? The majority of Christians have almost no idea how the 80,000 hours they spend in their vocation over their lifetime relates um, to their faith, right? So that's where we're going um, this morning. And uh, we find instruction about work and our attitude towards work in the book of Proverbs. Um, so stand up. Um, we're going to meet the sluggard uh, this morning. The sluggard knows nothing about uh, the theology of work. Starting in Proverbs chapter 6, there'll be a lot of turning here for a couple minutes in the Bible, if you're following along in the Bible, otherwise on the screen. So Proverbs 6, 6 and following. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So then Proverbs 13, I'm turning to, just one verse, chapter four, uh, verse four of chapter 13, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. And then this very quizzical um, proverb in the 26th chapter, the 14th verse, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. What the heck does that mean, right? <laughs> as a door turns on its hinges, well, you know, somebody suggested what it means is uh, that the sluggard refuses to get out of bed. He just tosses and turns, and the sound, you know, the bed makes is like a, a door on its creaky hinges. I don't know, whatever. Doesn't sound good for the sluggard. Um, and, then, and then one New Testament uh, reading from 2 Thessalonians 3. Paul writes to the church, if anyone is not willing to work, then don't let him eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Bible's pretty clear, right? Don't be a sluggard. Lord, teach us um, how to love you and love our neighbors by using the gifts that you give us um, to honor you, care for your creation, 
and, uh, and love our brothers and sisters. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated, please. I love this story. Tune in. There once was a man who loved to work. He loved being part of a team. He managed people. He said, this is what I was born to do. He, he loved to ask about their lives and their families and their interests. He loved when they got inspired. He loved watching them gain new skills and confidence. He valued the chance to spot each person's abilities and help them to move and become the best version of themselves. He liked looking ahead at what each day would hold and he loved the feeling at the end of the day when he could look back on his productivity. He didn't tell people at his church this, but secretly he felt the presence of God more at work than he did at church. He often found himself praying for ideas and wisdom. He'd get excited when a solution for some problem seemed to just pop into his head. His joy at work made him a better husband and father and friend and volunteer. When he was 65, someone asked if he was going to retire, so he looked up the word retire in the Bible, but he couldn't find it. So he just kept working. After a while, he cut back to part-time, and eventually his work was all volunteer. When he was very old and ill, all the people he had loved and worked with all the years gathered around his sickbed. They thanked him for how he had enhanced their lives and uh, he thought of all the joy and purpose his work had given him over the years. And these were his final words before he died. I just wish I could have spent more time at the office. Now, if you're not familiar with the cliche, then that little story doesn't mean much uh, sense to you. But there's a cliche that says nobody at the end of their life, you know, Um, Nobody at the end of their life has ever been heard to say, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Well, you just heard one, right? Um, What a horrible cliche. What a stupid cliche. Um, Nobody ever said at the end of their life, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. What more worthy thing could a person say at the end of their life? Just Just as a person might say, I wish I'd prayed more, right? At the end of their life, they might say, I wish I was generous more. I wish I'd cultivated um, more friendships. I wish I'd spent less time scrolling on my phone. Um, So what could be wrong with a person at the end of their life saying, I wish I had served God and blessed my neighbor more, with more time at the office? We have lost the biblical vision that a well-lived life is a life of joyous labor. Um, wasn't long ago I heard a young man say, here's my goal, preacher, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna work my tail off. I'm gonna work so hard and uh, Lord willing, successfully. And by the time I am 40, I'm gonna accumulate enough wealth that I have enough for the rest of my life and I will never work a day again. And I remember looking at him and um, thinking, where did you ever get the idea that that's a good plan? That's a worthy goal, right? Dorothy Sayers um, said this. Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or it should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he offers himself to God. So you've got enough money by the time you're 40. You don't have to work anymore. Um, That's ridiculous. Um, You'd be abandoning the very reason you were created and put on um, this earth. Listen, God's world's broken, right? 
Everybody agrees with that? So we got work to do. So turn off your phone, put your hand on the plow, strap on your boots, let's get to work, right? So you ready? First point. Now I have to warn you, this is worthy of writing some stuff down. This is one of the, I love this. I love, I love what, what I'm about to teach. I think it's life changing. Um, so take some notes if that helps you think about it um, later because there's a lot of sub points. <laughs> Let that be a warning to you. Um, so what is the biblical vision for the importance of work? That's where we're gonna start, the dignity of work. Uh, or a subtitle would be the blindness of the sluggard. What does the sluggard not see, right? Um, and this is what they don't see. Number one is that work is ordained by God, right? Work's ordained by God. We're made in God, God's image. God works, so we work. When man lived in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, we what? We worked. We worked in paradise. You might think paradise means you don't work. Paradise, when I think of paradise, I think of not working. Not working. But it says that man took, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work to work there and to keep it. We were made by God to work. Work is not a result of sin. It's not a result of the curse or the fall. Work existed before mankind rebels against um, God. When Adam and Eve were in paradise, they weren't on vacation, but they were on vocation. I think that's the best line I've ever said in a sermon. Um, <laughs> if you just want to jot it down. Um, they weren't on vacation, on vocation, you know. The fourth commandment, anybody know what it says? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, but what's the rest of that um, passage say? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now does it say remember the Sabbath day, but it says six days you shall labor, right? Um, listen, we were made to work. And the most stunning thing of all when you open the Bible is who do we discover is at work? Who's working? Before we're even created, who's working? God's working. God's creating. God's making. God gets his hands dirty, making man. Genesis 2.2 says on the seventh day, God rested from all the work he had done. And then he gives us in Genesis chapter one, these are, the, these are the first verses in all the Bible. These are, this is cardinal instruction for Christianity. What does a God say he made us? In Genesis chapter one, we call it the cultural mandate. It says God made us in his own image, male and female, he made us, and that God commissioned us. He sent us out to till the earth, to cultivate the earth, to work the earth, to make sure that the earth, his creation was thriving. God commissioned us to come alongside him. I want you to manage uh, my creation. I want you to build families and churches and cities and governments and schools and plant crops and design airplanes and build bridges and launch satellites and cure diseases and compose music so that my creation will flourish. So this is why you get up in the morning and go to work. This is what the sluggard misses. It's high privilege of work. Our creator is inviting us to be superintendents with him over everything he has made. So you heard of a guy named Tim Keller. Tim Keller was a 
worldwide influential pastor and author who um, sadly died a month ago. But about 14 years ago, my phone rang one day, and it was Tim Keller, and Tim Keller called to offer me a job. Now, I turned him down because I had a better job. You guys. Um, but you know, when somebody like that offers you a job, you think, what a privilege it would be to work with them. You should know that. You got a better call than that. The creator of the universe called you to himself and said, I want you to work with me. Talk about giving your life purpose. It's one of the problems we have sometime in Christianity. I think people become Christians and then they, they're, they're, most of their life is taken up with their vocation. But, you know, they go down to church and, and, and you got people, men and women, running major corporations and running huge and doing challenging and interesting things. And, and all the church has to do uh, for them to do is stand at the door and hand out bulletins. Uh, it doesn't exactly capture your, um, you don't lay awake at night and think of standing out bulletins at the door. Now, I'm not disparaging people who hand out bulletins at the door. We want bulletins handed out at the door. Um, but nevertheless, you understand this, this being captured and caught up with every day, all the time. I am doing the work of God, not just when I'm at church doing church stuff. You got it? So work is ordained by God. Second, work is sacred. It is our worship. It's holy. There's no such thing as, well, that's sacred work and this is secular work. Kind of got my secular life and my sacred life. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Um, there's no such a division. You think about it, most everyone in the Bible did secular work. Jacob was a rancher. Joseph worked for a pagan government of Egypt. And Moses was a shepherd. David was a military leader when he wasn't playing um, music to entertain Saul. Daniel worked for the Babylonians. Lydia was into textiles. Paul was a tent maker. Peter and James were fishermen. Secular work. Um, do you know the first person, does anybody know the name of the first, now if you were here last night, you would be cheating. Because I have a prize for you. If you can state the name of the first person in the Bible who has ever said they were filled with the Spirit. Big prize. You'll get to clean out the fountain for the next year. Big prize. Bezalel. Bezalel. Hey, give a hand there. Were you here last night? Were you here last night? You didn't cheat, did you? Okay. Bezalel is it. Bezalel was a carpenter who built the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant uh, in the Old Testament. You see, everybody is called to full-time Christian service. It, when, you, when you talk to young people very often, or even people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, they say, I, I, I feel like my work is so unfulfilling. I, I want to do something that will have eternal impact with my life, you know? So the thought is, I, I, I need to be a preacher, or I, a missionary, or I need to work for a nonprofit, you know, uh, maybe digging wells in, in Africa or helping the poor in some way. This is, inter uh, uh, this is sadly misled thinking. Um, all work 
that, uh, that is for the glory of God and for the good of your neighbor is God honoring its sacred work. The garbage man who works for a cleaner, healthier city is doing God's work, right? Pastor's work is not more spiritual than the violinist or, uh, or the lawn cutter or the CPA, right? Don, you know, so um, all of us, this is the calling for all of us. Um, what did Luther say? Therefore, I advise no one to enter any religious order or the priesthood. I advise everyone against it unless he is forearmed with this knowledge and understands that the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. Did you hear that? There it is. Dorothy Sayers says as well, in nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as in her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. She has allowed work and religion to become separate departments. How can anyone remain interested in a religion that seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? Every single day is a day of worship. Every single day is sacred. Whatever you get up and go to do, it's sacred. You got it? So last then in this first point, work is a gift. It's as basic a need as water or food or rest or family or worship or prayer. Work is food for our souls. Without meaningful work, we languish. Dostoevsky said, robbed of meaningful work, men will go stark, raving, mad. Well, my wife and I watched Downton Abbey. I don't know if any of you did when it was a thing a couple years ago, set, uh, you know, 100 years ago or so, um, in an era in which there were dukes and lords and ladies and all kinds of things like that. And uh, it depicted a, a certain household um, where you had all the privileged and titled upstairs. Um, and then downstairs, you had all the servants, right? And the people upstairs, you know, the, the great stressor of the day was getting their servant to get them dressed and and they couldn't even comb their own hair, right? Their servants had to come up and comb their hair. And, and uh, you could say, I don't know, I'd like to try that life. Um, and uh, downstairs were all the people doing all the work, raising all the animals, you know, ca catching all the food and preparing it and uh, doing all the cleaning and all scurrying about all day long for almost no compensation. And you couldn't help but miss when you watched the show that who was happier in the household? All the time, consistently, the people downstairs had more joy, they had more fulfillment, uh, more pleasure in their life. This is the way God has made us. He's made us to work. Research shows that the best moments of our lives don't come from the beach or Disney. They don't involve sex or chocolate. They come when we are totally immersed in a challenging task that's fraught with significance. God made us to work. So when you get in your UPS truck to begin your deliveries first thing in the morning, when you go to that first septic tank you're gonna pump of many that day, when you drive into the parking lot of the primary school you teach at, when you begin your waitressing shift, when you sit down at your computer, or when you start to scale the mountain of laundry your family has created in just three days, you should feel God's pleasure because you were made to work and you have no higher calling. Got it? All right, there we go, that's the dignity of work. Second, let's talk about this. 
What's the temptation of the sluggard? Well, the temptation of the sluggard, of course, is to avoid work. Why? Because work is hard. Work is difficult. Nothing I should uh, have said should uh, um, lessen the truth that work, um, work is um, exhausting. The sluggard is not inclined to work. So why is work so hard? Ready? Three reasons. One, the world's broken, right? Work so hard because the world's broken. The curse has left the once fertile ground stingy. God says to Adam in the garden after man rebels against God, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. It'll have thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Having to wrestle the earth to get uh, to get food, to get produce, to get life is ultimately gonna take the very life out of um, you physically, right? And all of you know that, right? You plant your tomato plants and it's like everything in the universe conspires against those plants. The minute you put a tomato plant in the ground and there's these aphids and there's these bugs and there's this drought and there's this the soil composition, the acidity and everything. But the weeds, you can spray weed killer. You could get a torch, a fire torch, and the weeds, they don't care. They go, right? Um, the earth, we have to wrestle it, uh, the creation, to get it to cooperate. In Genesis 3, the same Hebrew word is used to describe the pain of childbirth. What do we call that? We say a woman is in, isn't that interesting? It's the same word in, in, in the curse that what will come on the woman because of the rebellion of mankind, labor pain, as is used to describe the man who had to go work in the field, he will be set by labor pain. Same word. Women are having nothing to do with that uh, illustration. Um, the point is work is hard. It's physically and mentally taxing. You know, if you work outdoors, Diane and I saw a roofer this week doing a roof and and this guy was almost running along the edge of the roof, the edge, right, where you'd fall off, almost running down with a shovel, taking those things off. And Diane's like, he's gonna fall. I, I just wondered if you polled roofers what the average number of times they fall over the course of their um, one-year career. <laughs> um, you know, works hard. It's hot outside and rain and all of that. I can remember when I was a uh, young college guy and I worked in a nursery picking plants in South Florida in the sun. And with every plant, I would reach into a pot to pull out with every weed. I would say to myself, study harder, study harder, study harder. You know, someday you want to get an inside job. Um, labor is hard. Um, you know, think of IT problems, supply issues, customer complaints, irritating coworkers, economic downturns. Um, Works hard. Sometimes I go home and uh, I can hardly stand up. I'm so tired. I bet you experience that too, don't you? You just spent. Diane will say, can I get you something to eat? And I said, I don't have enough energy to eat it. Right? Works hard. Secondly, work, the difficulty of work. It's, it's not only is work hard, but we're soft. Our affluence and ease has created a coddled culture. You know, in almost all the world, in almost all of history, when the sun comes up in the morning, you go to work because if you don't, you what? 
you die. You die. Uh, the world does not have the affluence that we've grown up with, most of us, all our life. You have to scrap to feed your family and to feed yourself. Uh, most of the world today, if you brought them to America and you brought them down the street here to Publix and you walk them in, if they saw Publix, if they, if they saw all that food, aisle after aisle after aisle of food, they would say, wow, is, is this heaven? It's their picture of heaven. How could there be so much food, right? You know pioneers, even in our own country, when they made their way out west, you get to Nebraska, you get to, my goodness, Wyoming, wherever that is, and, and, um, and if you didn't grow enough corn, if you didn't put enough away in the, in the summer and early fall, what happened? You died. There was no social security. There was no system. There was no welfare. There was nothing to bail you out, right? Well, that's not the way we live today. So we're coddled. Um, and, and, and I think as parents, that's why we've got to think of ways, how are we going to teach our children to um, work? I think it can be the value of sports, right? It can be the value of, of dance and music and things that we have our children do. Sometimes we have them do that too much, but, but what are we trying to do? We're trying to teach them that to, to accomplish something, you have to be, think of sports. You've got to be outdoors often and running and lifting weights and sprints and doing things that are, are not fun and they're hard to do and practicing plays and, and disciplining yourself and thinking and effort and eating right and all of that to make yourself a good athlete. And I know the, the dancer, the musician, practicing, 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 even when they don't want to practice, right? We have to create um, fatigue and stress and hardship, right, to teach tenacity um, to our children. You know, the United States of America offers this incredible vacation. It's, uh, it's absolutely free. As a matter of fact, they'll pay you uh, to go to this resort uh, for young, uh, it used to be just men were allowed, now they'll allow women too. It's, a, it's an island, island vacation off the coast of South Carolina. It's called Paris Island. Um, it's... It is the United States Marine Corps uh, where they train. And what does the Marine Corps do? They put you under stress, right, in every possible way if you go there. They're gonna simulate hostile conditions. You're gonna be yelled at. You're gonna be sleep deprived. You're gonna be pushed to your emotional and physical limits. Why? Why? Because it's malpractice, wouldn't it be, to take young men and women and drop them into a conflict zone, drop them into war, and have them unprepared for that experience, right? It would be evil to do that. And so for parents, they don't take this calling seriously. Um, to um, Parents, don't coddle your kids. It, it's malpractice to drop them into the world and not have prepared them um, to work. One of the best things is family missions trip, right? Kids are getting a taste. They're seeing their parents often do physical labor. Uh, they're doing physical labor. And in that setting, it's often even fun somewhat, right? We're teaching our kids. We're letting them see us um, work. When you work in the yard, have your kids help you. Do not coddle your kids. Um, you're not doing them any favors, um, you know, and this is a point at which everyone over a certain age in the room sits there and says, the pastor's telling the truth. These young people today, they don't do it as well as we did it. 
you know, if it's true that, that, that an older generation taught their kids to work better than current generation, if that's true, there's a ton of things the younger generation is teaching better than you did. So get off your high horse. If you're an older person in this room, you weren't that good at parenting either. I didn't hear any amens. Um, <laughs> now let me tell you the torment of my childhood. Um, I said to my parents, I want a bike. And uh, they said, uh, we don't blame you for wanting a bike. Uh, find out what it costs. I came back and I said, it costs this much money. They said, good, then, then uh, you have to earn it. I said, how do I earn it? I'm a little kid. I don't have a job. Um, they said, uh, we'll find you a way to earn it. And uh, so my dad said, why don't you do this? Why don't you uh, go up and knock on all the doors of the people on our street and ask them if they would save their newspapers and you'll go collect their newspapers every Saturday morning and uh, we'll take them to the recycling center and get a little money for that and eventually you'll accumulate enough money and go buy a bike. All right, whatever, you know, thanks a lot. I got, <laughs> I got depression era parents. And um, so um, I got my little red wagon. You remember those little red wagons that the sides were about that big. So uh, I had to build up the sides <laughs> taller than that and then my neighbors saved save their papers, and of course I wasn't diligent enough to go every week, so I'd show up once a month and they'd have a massive stack, and then I'd put them in the wagon and I'd pull out of their driveway and I'd try to get the next house in there too, and all the papers would fall out all over the street, and, uh, and it was terrible, it was 100 degrees, there were coral snakes coming after me, there were <laughs> drug cartels driving around Miami. Um, but what were my parents trying to do, right? They were wrestling for my soul, weren't they? And, uh, and I, doubt I, 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 I doubt they saw much fruit from it, and I doubt their son ever said to them, my, how I honor you for caring about my character. Um, but parents, um, we're soft. We've got to do something about it. And the third reason uh, work is so hard is we're idolaters. Work is hard because we work not to glorify God, but to replace him. Instead of finding our worth and value in our relationship with God, we use our work, achievement, financial you know, success um, uh, to bolster our self-esteem and to quiet our inner voice of self-contempt. A woman was heard to say, um, she said, all I ever wanted to be was an elementary school teacher. And I really wanted to do that. But then I thought, you know, someday I'm gonna to go to my 10th high school reunion and they're gonna ask me, um, what do you do? And when I say I'm an elementary school teacher, I'm gonna feel so much lesser than all the other people there. And so I went to law school and that's why I'm in law school. And she said, I don't even want to do law. I don't even wanna be a lawyer. I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. So why did she do it? Because her work wasn't her work. Her work was about her status, right? Her work was about feeling good about herself, about getting respect, about covering in a way that would make her look good. When we add that on to work, it just destroys us. We overwork because we demand our work to be our savior. I heard a pregnant woman to say um, that she loves being, but it's actually a, a physician that she loves being pregnant because um, 
she's pregnant as a, she's productive as a physician, but when she's pregnant, she's growing a baby all the time. So that means she's productive when she's um, not at work. She's productive when she's sleeping. For nine months, she never ceases to be productive. Whoa. Um, but that's why work is hard, because the work of self-validation um, never ends. Once, uh, I, when I used to preach every single week, I, I knew that, because once the sermon uh, ended, um, I didn't get any rest, because once the sermon ended, the clock had started uh, seven days, and I had to stand up and do it again, and my value was determined on how well I preached in my own mind. You know, Harold Abrams is the great line, chariots of fire. He's uh, um, he, Eric Little, Scottish um, runner, Eng uh, England's um, Harold Abrams. Uh, they're competing in the same Olympics. And this is what Abrams says, you remember? When the, he was a 100-meter dash competitor. He said, when the gun goes off, I've got 10 seconds to validate my existence. If I win the race, I'm an Olympic champion. If I don't, I'm a nobody. I got 10 seconds to validate my existence. Wow. Um, there is no rest. There is no rest for the idolater. All right, last of all then, here's the sluggard's big miss. We missed the whole design of work. What's the point of life? What's the point of work? Is it material gain? Is it... Um, Provision for our family alone? Is it self-satisfaction? And this community, you can imagine how many times I've heard people say, I have worked hard, saved diligently, lived frugally, and now it's my time to cash in. I'm gonna retire, hit the road, get in the RV, do whatever I want, go wherever I want. I don't have to be home at any time. I'm gonna sleep, I'm gonna play, uh, I'm gonna get a golf cart, and drive around the neighborhood, I'm gonna drink coffee, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna do whatever I want. I don't need to work, I have all I need. You know, my question is, are you your brother's keeper? Pretty good question, God thought so, he asked that a long time ago. Are you your brother's keeper? Um, um, who do you live for, right? Is your work finished, is the world made new? Is your community flourishing? Do your neighbors have any need? You're gonna drive right by them every day and not care? Um, listen, the design of God for us is to pour ourselves out for God's glory and others' good until we die. That doesn't mean we get paid for it, right? You can move from a, a job where you're compensated and to, to working part-time, to, to serving in all sorts of ways. Listen, retirees in this church set the mark. This staff of this church talks constantly that Seven Rivers Church, if it has any measure of success, it's because of retirees who come here and they don't come here to be indulged. They come here to dig in and serve. All these missions trips, you know, that have been family mission trip, other mission trips, who pays for all that? A lot of it's retirees in our church. Um, people are learning how to work because of you guys. You haven't stopped, right? Just two quick words about uh, how we honor God with our work and how we love our neighbor. It's the way we work, right? It's Colossians uh, chapter three. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Um, 
We glorify God when we do our work well, right? We do it with excellence and joy, integrity and humility and selflessness. So last week I'm walking into the service at church and I'm coming down the stairwell um, and, uh, um, to, to come here and it's raining, Saturday night's raining very, very hard and there's water pouring down the wall on the inside of the building in our office over there. Well, it turns out we discovered that we had some roof work done and the roofers never closed the hatch. So, it matters, work matters, how well you do your work. Um, we all know that. Some years ago I was uh, driving, we were on family vacation, we happened to be driving sort of by Hilton Head and um, uh, suddenly I had this terrible pain uh, and about a, two hours later I was in emergency surgery and I spent a week in the hospital there and um, all I know is misery, misery upon misery and I remember one night when I'm sweating and I'm, I'm feverish and I'm just, I'm soaking wet uh, my clothes are soaking wet, the bed sheets are soaking wet, the bed, the pillow, everything's soaking wet, the hospital's chilled to about 20 degrees, and, um, and I am shivering, and I'm just thinking I could not be more miserable. And in the middle of the night comes this um, nurse, checks on me, discovers all this, quickly changes all those bed linens, changes my clothes, changes everything, gets hot blankets, puts them on me, gets me resettled in bed. I just think, this woman is an angel. God, you sent an angel. I mean, the competence with which she swooped in and did, it's, it's awesome, isn't it? Um, when people work, do their work with joy and skill and ability, right? You ever experience that when somebody takes your blood? It's so good to have somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, so I go into Chick-fil-A at an airport recently and, uh, and you know, we love Chick-fil-A, right? Because when you go in there and whatever you ask, they say it will be what? My pleasure. It will be my pleasure. So, you know, I, I want uh, a, a little extra Chick-fil-A sauce. It will be my pleasure. You know, I want an Arnold Palmer. It will be my pleasure. You know, would you give me your kidney? My pleasure. You know, <laughs> whatever. But I went in the airport, this Chick-fil-A, and, and uh, I went up to make my order, and she said, woman said with the brightest smile, she said, what could I get you, my love? And, uh, and I started to make my order, and she said, will that be all my love? And uh, changed the order a little bit. She said, oh, that's fine, no problem, my love. And finally I had to say to her, why do you say that? My love, I love it. It sounds so warm and caring, and you know what she said? I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> I thought, that is just beautiful. I'm going back there this afternoon, you know. Oh. Not, only that, not only the way we work, um, but when we really um, work for our community and our neighbors, we work for others, not for ourselves. Work is not about us. It's not about our salary or our status. It's about bringing the healing love of God to broken people in broken places. It's about rolling back the curse. Bono said, I write songs to tear off just a little corner of the darkness. And that's what we do in our work. When Donnie and Shell Smith take a drug dealer off the streets of Sumter County, uh, they're doing 
They're loving their neighbor. When Mark Swander fixes old cars like mine, keeps them on the road, uh, he's doing God's work, blessing me. When the DR team builds a new ramp for somebody in our community that has no legs, when Ben Wright distributes medicine that gives people relief from Brashear's Pharmacy, when Ed over there runs Walmart, right? Right over there on the front row. When Tracy Alexander manages Home Depot, um, how many contractors are blessed? How many home repair projects? Um, you know, when Nancy Kennedy puts her pen to paper every week and writes her articles. Um, when Allison Boykin and Emily Puckett and Macy LeCompte uh, put on their scrubs and go to work as nurses, they are loving God and they are loving their neighbor. What a beautiful calling to work. Love God, love your neighbor. So um, this Dickard family, they usually sit over there in the second row. They sit up close because they're not very spiritual and they need it. Um, <laughs> Jim Dickert's a doctor, you know, and so he labored in this community a long time and something happened that I don't think happens to many uh, then his older son came and worked with him as a physician. Then his uh, next older son came and worked as a physician. Then his daughter came and worked as a PA in his office. And he's got all this family, and they all work um, together. And I just think that's the coolest thing. But you know what? You have the same thing. Those kids could say, we get to work with our dad, and so do you. Your dad has invited you into the family business and you get to work with him every day. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org. 